Saint Teresa of Calcutta once said, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. Welcome to the 88th episode of Saint Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want everyone to hear and to know that they are wanted, they are loved, and they will never be forgotten. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. A lot of us think we know what depression is and are pretty sure that we don't have it. However, there are atypical symptoms of depression that we should all know about and pay attention to because we may not realize that we'd benefit from reaching out for help. Healthline gives us more. One reason it can be hard to recognize hidden depression is that symptoms vary so widely from person to person. You may already be familiar with better known symptoms of depression, such as sadness that persists for longer than two weeks, frequent crying, a big drop in self-esteem, losing interest in things that were once important. But other symptoms may be harder to recognize as depression, including symptoms like these, physical pain or gastrointestinal problems not linked to another health condition, fatigue or lack of energy, changes in sleep patterns, weight gain, weight loss, or changes in appetite, changes in substance use, irritability, grumpiness, or extra sensitivity, feelings of hopelessness or worthlessness, problems with attention, concentration, or memory, loss of interest in sex. It's important to watch for any changes in behavior. When people have depression, they may begin to act differently than they used to act, even if they're not acting sad or listless, such as personality differences, negative self-talk, abandoning hobbies or causes that once mattered, productivity differences, differences in social interactions, and becoming more serious. Back to me. I think this information is so important to get out there because so many of us see depression as a constant state of crying and extreme sadness. And because of this misconception, or at least lack of knowledge around these other symptoms, we may be going through our life just not feeling quite right and having no idea that help could be as simple as reaching out and exploring if depression might be causing these symptoms. If you experience symptoms like these for more than two weeks and the symptoms have begun to impair your ability to function, it's definitely worth considering. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to Blessed Yolanda of Poland. Born in 1235, Yolanda was the daughter of the King of Hungary and the sister of St. Kinga of Poland and St. Margaret of Hungary. While still a young girl, Yolanda was sent to Poland to study under her sister and future saint, who was married to Poland's duke. She married Boleslaw the Pious in 1257, and the couple had three children. As Wikipedia points out, during the time of her marriage, she was noted for her great service to the poor and needy of the country, as well as being a major benefactor of the monasteries, friaries, and hospitals connected to them. Her husband gave her so much support in her charities that he earned the nickname the Pious. 
kind of unfair that he got the nickname the pious, but here we go. Her husband died in 1279. As a widow, Yolanda, her daughter Anna, and her sister, the future Saint Kinga, all retired to the local poor Clare monastery. However, they had to relocate due to nearby armed conflict, and Yolanda founded a new monastery where she eventually became a nun and took on the role of abbess. Yolanda's life is like a roller coaster from one extreme to another, and the way she lived her faith, even at a time when she was living at the height of luxury and influence, and had the same faith as a poor Claire nun after a life well lived, inspires me, and I, I hope it inspires you too. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Blessed Yolanda of Poland, thank you for your dedication to those you served even when you had wealth and didn't need to and could have lived a life of comfortable living instead. May I strive to dedicate my life to others and not look out for myself so much to be more selfless. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. gets us started. Do you have any opinions on Prozac to treat depression? I just had a general practitioner prescribe it to me, but I'm a little concerned by all the side effects. Um, and I'm curious what you think about it. So let's start by joining together in prayer for Matt and everyone facing the often difficult decision of whether or not medication is a good option for them, for compassionate and understanding doctors, and for peace in their heart. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First off, I want to say how great it is that you reached out for help. It shows a lot of strength, and I really think it's important to be recognized for it. Next, I would just like to point out that you are not alone. Most of us struggle with the idea of taking medication, especially for our mental health, so I want you to know that your concerns are valid and normal. Okay, before I get into some definitions and some thoughts, I want to remind everyone that I am not a medical doctor. I'm just a therapist, and people should consult with their prescribing professional for medication concerns or questions. Prozac, also known as fluoxetine, belongs to a class of medications known as SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And according to healthgrades.com, it works by increasing levels of serotonin. This brain chemical or neurotransmitter plays a role in mental health. Prozac uses include treating depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, panic attacks, and eating disorders. And according to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, fluoxetine is effective in treating all degrees of depression and is clearly better tolerated, meaning it has a more benign adverse events profile or less serious side effects than the older antidepressant drugs. There are a couple of things that I think are important to remember related to your question, though. First, all side effects experienced by all people taking Prozac during trials is recorded on the side effect sheet. So you may be reading this long list and think you're going to have all of these happen for you, but in reality, many of those side effects may have only happened to an extremely small number of individuals taking the medication during trial. So the more important thing to look out at uh, is other mental health conditions or other medications you may be taking and how they might interact with the meds being considered. The more common side effects that you want to keep an eye out on uh, are headache, nausea, diarrhea, dry mouth, increased sweating, feeling nervous or restless, fatigue, and having trouble sleeping. 
These will often improve over the first week or two as you continue to take the medication. And it's also worth noting here that antidepressant medications are not typically habit-forming or addictive. So next, it's important to remember that antidepressants take time to work. According to the NHS in the UK, you may see an improvement in your symptoms after one to two weeks, although it usually takes between four and six weeks before you feel the full benefits. That's because it takes around a week for fluoxetine levels to build up in your body, and then a few weeks longer for your body to adapt and get used to it. So last, I like to remind everyone considering medication for mental health that it may take a couple of tries before finding the medication that works best for you and your body, and that's okay. According to helpguide.org, Finding the right drug and dosage is a trial and error process. It takes approximately four to six weeks for antidepressant medications to reach their full therapeutic effect. Many people try several medications before finding one that helps. Also, remember that starting a medication doesn't mean we have to take it forever. And if we feel like the costs are outweighing the benefits at any time, we should feel free to bring this up to our doctor to keep them in the loop, get their advice, and work with them on helping us feel better. I hope all of this helps. We'll be praying for you. Anonymous is up next. In your experience, what is the best way to support a family member resistant to seeking mental health treatment because they fear they will lose their job? This family member works as a doctor in a hospital and tells us they can't seek treatment because otherwise they would get fired. I don't know enough about medical licensing procedures to know if this is true or not, but it's clear that not getting treatment is hurting their spouse, children, and extended family members. However, they are currently the sole income earner in the family, so I understand it is a real fear to them. Let's join in prayer for Anonymous, their family member, and everyone who feels there are barriers keeping them from being able to access the care they need to find healing and wellness. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First, I just want to say what a blessing it is that you care about your family member and their mental health so much and are looking for ways to help. It's truly a great thing. Next, I would say that your family member is not alone in being worried about the impact reaching out for mental health treatment may have on their personal life. It's a barrier that keeps many people away from engaging in help, and that's a serious problem. Let's approach this topic from two angles. First, it's important for everyone to know that there are protections put in place for those of us who seek mental health care. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has this. If you have depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, or another mental health condition, you are protected against discrimination and harassment at work because of your condition. You have workplace privacy rights, and you may have a legal right to get reasonable accommodations that can help you perform and keep your job. It is illegal for an employer to discriminate against you simply because you have a mental health condition. This includes firing you, rejecting you for a job or promotion, or forcing you to take leave. An employer cannot rely on myths or stereotypes about your mental health condition when deciding whether you can perform a job or whether you pose a safety risk. In most situations, you can keep your condition private. An employer is only allowed to ask medical questions, including questions about mental health, in four situations. When you ask for a reasonable accommodation, after it has made you a job offer, but before employment begins, as long as everyone entering the same job category is asked the same question. 
when it is engaging in affirmative action for people with disabilities, such as an employer tracking the disability status of its applicant pool in order to assess its recruitment and hiring efforts, or a public sector employer considering whether special hiring rules may apply, in which case you may choose whether to respond. And on the job, when there is objective evidence that you may be unable to do your job or that you may pose a safety risk because of your condition. You also have a legal right to a reasonable accommodation that would help you do your job. A reasonable accommodation is some type of change in the way things are normally done at work. Just a few examples of possible accommodations include altered break and work schedules, like scheduling work around therapy appointments, for example, quiet office spaces or devices that create a quiet environment, changes in supervisory methods, like written instructions from a supervisor who does not usually provide them, specific shift assignments and permission to work from home. Back to me. The second angle we need to look at uh, look at this from is the idea that having to seek out mental health treatment makes one feel unfit for their job or something along those lines. This can be another barrier for a lot of us when it comes to seeking help. We can feel like going to therapy or talking to a doctor about medication for our mental health is like throwing in the towel, giving up, admitting that we are defective in some way. But this is nothing but stigma that has been passed down through our culture to us. There is nothing about seeking help when we're depressed or anxious or suffering that means we're defective or weak or unfit. Quite the opposite, actually. Realizing that we need support and reaching out for help actually shows a lot of strength and self-awareness that points to something good about ourselves. And we should always look at receiving mental health help through that hopeful, positive, and strengths-based lens. For example, consider that getting uh, help for our mental health might actually help us perform better at work, and we should feel encouraged to reach out when looking at it from that angle. So I hope that all helps. Evelyn wraps us up. I am aware that people who are close to someone with depression can get depression themselves. I'm also aware that people with depression experience suicidal thoughts and some risk of taking their lives because of the illness. So, do you think it is better for people with depression to remain single for the rest of their lives rather than get into relationships and possibly marriage and children so as to protect their loved ones from depression and its possible consequences such as taking their lives? Let's pray for Evelyn and every single one of us suffering from depression that we may find peace, healing, and a loving community of family, friends, and others who are compassionate, understanding, and willing to walk with us along our journey. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. I'm really glad you sent this question in, Evelyn, because I think a lot of people think about this, not not only think about their mental health and the impact it might have if they enter into relationships, have kids, etc., but even if they should open up and share their mental health experience with loved ones because they're worried they might make their loved ones depressed simply by sharing. But this isn't true, and the pervasiveness of this myth is heartbreaking, really, because I think it leads to a lot of continued suffering. Many of the questions submitted to this podcast come from loving family or friends who are wanting to help a suffering loved one, and most of the people I see in the clinic setting are accompanied by family members wanting to help. Being in a relationship with someone includes our emotional ups and downs, and keeping things bottled up for fear of bringing other people down really hurts us and hurts them. 
by keeping them from being able to support us as they would like. In terms of your specific questions, it's important to remember that some of us are called to marriage, others of us may be called to the single life, others may be called to religious life, holy orders, and that call will come to us regardless of our mental health. When it comes to relationships, marriage, and potentially having children, all of us have to discern where the Lord is leading us. Now, of course, some may decide that it isn't prudent for them to have children because of their mental health, and that's okay too, but I wouldn't want to discourage anyone from entering into these experiences because they have depression or have experienced suicidal thoughts during their lives. Remember, the people who truly love us want to help us with our problems in, in that they want to be with us in the messiness of our lives and walk with us through everything we're going through. So it's important to allow them into our experience so that they can be the support that God calls them to be. We will be praying for you and everyone who is working through this difficult discernment of where God is calling them. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to Ave Maria's website to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that is due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dimpna.